Are you curious about how you might have a more fulfilling work life? Well, you're not alone. In fact, the numbers show us that many of us want more fulfilling work lives. I'm Susan Mikriadon, your host. And as a finance director, ops director and leadership coach, who has lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences and perspectives. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the people side of work life and explore ways to let your uniqueness shine through by sharing insights, stories, strategies and techniques to inspire your work life. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Glyn Bailey. Glyn, you're most welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Thank you so much for having me on. So Glyn, tell me, what makes your heart sing? <laughs> oh, what makes my heart sing? So much. At the moment, I would say my biggest reason for my heart singing is my puppy Noah who absolutely puts a smile on my face every day so he's a toy caboodle that's 14 months old and has the look of a teddy bear so he definitely makes my heart smile. I think the other thing that makes my heart really sort of fill with joy is working with female leaders. I left my corporate career three years ago to start working with female leaders, focusing on helping them be unstoppable and really connecting to what the narrative that each one of them has, including myself internally, that stops us from being the very best that we can be. So it's how do we really unlock what's true within us to bring that outside of us and, and share our gifts and talents with people. And the other thing I really love is writing. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so not accountancy then, Glyn? Um, it serves a purpose, having a numbers background for sure. But I wouldn't say I loved accounting. It's one of those things where you realise you're really good at something, but it doesn't necessarily always feed your soul. So I stayed in a career for 17 years because I was good at it, but, but not because it made me feel like I was jumping out of bed every day to do something that really deeply connected with my heart. Was it the people side, perhaps, because accountancy is often numbers based, and especially when you start out, you might ignore the people side of relationships. You know, was there a um, point in your career where you knew people were as important or did you always feel like that? Oh, I think I always felt like I knew people was important. It was one of the consistent themes that I was told through my corporate career was that you're not like any other finance person that we've worked with. You're not typical finance. And without being derogatory about finance folk, because I am, you know, essentially still one, but it's this the sense that there's a perception around accountants being numbers nerds not being able to have uh, an ability to really converse and and connect with others outside of the function that we speak a very different language so actually when I connected with people it would often be around what what was going on in their world understanding their needs really seeking to to get true connection to the business actually what people found was well that's quite different to what we're getting elsewhere so I, I got that feedback all the way through but I'd at the time I often thought it was because people didn't think I was a very good finance person that they thought they said I was different so I was like oh it's different mean like I'm not as good as or not as great at finance so that in a narrative is interesting this is what I talk about with women is that how funny that even someone saying one thing meaning another we can interpret it in a way that doesn't actually support what we're trying to, to be and who we're trying to become. But yeah, fascinating. It's only years later that I realized it wasn't because I was bad at finance. And that was only when I got evidence that I wasn't bad because I was getting promoted. <laughs> 
So it's funny how you're using different markers to, to validate your, your contribution and actually not really asking the question at the time that said, when you say different, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, it's that making the assumption to suit yourself rather than what was intended. Yeah, and what's true based on what's been been given. Yeah. That's really interesting. And did you try harder as a finance person then, Lynn, do you think? Oh, I think I've, from the way I approach my life, I've always had an internal drive. And I often got told by people that got to know me really well was this sense of, Glyn, you're hard on the outside, that you present hard on the outside. One word was truffle. You like a truffle. You're hard on the outside, soft and gooey on the inside. And I think when I certainly started my finance career, it was this sense of I've got to be hard and tough because I've got to have really difficult conversations with people about their performance and how they're doing, and especially if they're not doing well. I, I can't be this soft, gooey person. So I definitely tried hard in that regard to be taken seriously. And as a female leader and, and someone junior at that time in finance, getting getting my skills up to speed and, and getting my own credibility and you know established. It's the sense of okay, I, I've got to I've got to have this persona and this perception of myself. Whereas I think now, if I could go back to my my younger self in my twenties and say, what would I recommend you doing? It's just bring out the soft and gooey side, and it's okay to be tough too. But you can show both sides of you because it makes you more human. And when you connect with people at a human level, you get so much more access to. The reality of their world, understanding their environment, and the relationships that you build really strengthen your ability to partner within within the organisation. So, whilst I definitely said I was people orientated, I still had this block of my own which said I needed to be a certain way in order to be seen a certain way. Yeah, and probably role models, or possibly role models ahead of you as well, Glyn, giving you that impression. And maybe that's how they behaved. And, you know, I think a lot of certainly finance people listening to this would feel something similar. And hopefully that is now changing, that actually senior leaders and maybe particularly women, but also men are allowing themselves to be a bit more vulnerable and to open up and show that you can be both. Absolutely. And I think what I'm seeing more of now, and perhaps COVID has accelerated that too in the world that we're living, like for the first time we're invited into people's homes, you know, we've got video calls and we get to see their kids, we get to see their pets, we get to see what their work and home environment looks like. And we've got people in, mingling in between, whether the, the kids are running around in the background. So you're getting to access to the human aspect of someone in a way that we've never had access to people's personal lives in that way before. And I think therefore it's given more of us permission to, to lean into being ourselves to say, hey, look, here's me outside of my work office environment in my home environment, but still able to be professional, but let me show you my human side too. And I think it definitely is accepted more. And I think also with with certainly with finance, when I think about where the future is headed in, in finance, we've, we've been in a, a very much ahead journey. It's all about the mind. It's all about our intelligence and it's all about intellectual intelligence and our capability with our numbers. And when I think about what's going to happen in order for finance to stay relevant going forward, it's very much about the emotional intelligence. It's about the heart. It's about really understanding someone's uh, motivations intentions their desires because when we can start to understand others behaviors we can be in to see how they make decisions how that influences the choices that they're taking what their emotions means in terms of their own biases to the way they they make those decisions or the the impact that they have on their team or the business and when we can be clued into how human behavior impacts numbers the power that you know a future finance person is going to bring that sort of cultivated the head to the heart journey is going to be phenomenal and I think the power that finance folk get to bring when they bring more of their human and heart to the table 
is is far far greater than a lot of the other functions because they don't have the same visibility of the business end to end that finance have the privilege of, of having access to. The really amazing observation I think about how human behavior impacts numbers and certainly something to think about because wow yeah I hadn't thought of it that in that respect as much. Yeah well think about performance people are measured on on so many different numbers and they've got targets and they've got KPIs etc that they're working towards and often when we come at it from a finance lens we're coming at it from a here are the numbers, here are the assumptions we're making, here's, here's the different variable uh, changing conditions that we've got to consider from a business context. But we don't often think, well, what, what frame of mind is that person in? What might be going on in, in their environment outside of work that could be either supporting clarity of their judgment or impairing their judgment? And in what way could that then compromise the way they're making decisions within the organization? And until we get to know what someone is about or how they're presenting or even noticing whether someone's off in their energy versus how they usually are we're not joining the dots there to say actually there could be impact here on the numbers and the way we're driving this business forward because actually our behavior and our emotions do absolutely impact our own performance Mm. and I've read your book Unstoppable Woman and I really enjoyed it Lynn but one thing really struck me reading it well, several things, but one, one thing in particular was you say that in the 17 years I spent striving to be a CFO, not once did anyone ask me if I believed it would make me happy. Mm-hmm. Oh, that kind of sends shivers down my spine because does anyone get asked that, I wonder? I don't think so. And it's really sad because I, I look at the coaching that I do now and there's, there's a lot of clients that I've coached that have made decisions about their careers because they thought that's the next step that they have to take or you know, the commitment they've made to their own profession. And it's like, oh, I need to get to this level. I, I need to do this. And, and I do, I ask them around, where does that sit in terms of your future life? What would make you most happiest? And how will you measure success in your life when the time comes? Will it be, oh, I've got to this level and, and I've earned this amount of money? Or is it something else? And I think if we did ask each other, does what you do make you happy? It does stop someone in their tracks to go, well, why am I pursuing a certain path? Is this the right reason for me to pursue it? Because I think... We're much better in delivering our gifts and talents when we're in a space of happiness and joy. And some people would absolutely love finance and go, absolutely, I live and breathe the idea of being a CFO. And therefore, my why is because I can have you know, so much greater impact on organizations and, and be a force for good and change. And that absolutely could be the right route. Or it could be someone saying, actually, I don't want to be in finance, but I want to be in HR or I want to be in sales or I want to do something else entirely out of a corporate environment but I think we're having more conversations about heart and what really brings us joy we'll have a more healthier more productive more engaged workforce and I think there'll definitely be less toxic environments as well when you've got people in the environments because they're choosing to be there rather than this sense of I've got to achieve something from an ego state rather than from an emotional soul level where you're going actually this is just who I am and that's and that's what I'm here and feeling like I'm most aligned and equipped to do. Yeah and I suppose you could say it goes as far back as school because you never got asked what will make you happy when you go to university or think about what will make your heart sing. It was very much more about what can you achieve? Yeah. And 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 there's a difference. It is absolutely. And I think there's definitely people say, well, look, you have to be pragmatic about what can you make money from? So certainly when I was in my studying days at universities, people that did arts degrees, just like, oh, what are you going to use that for? (laughs) What is the point of doing art? And you just think, wow, like they actually had their, they probably had their heart and their head completely in alignment when they made those choices because it wasn't about 
oh, here's the job that's going to make me the most money or going to secure my my career and my security for the rest of my life. So therefore, I must choose wisely. It's this sense of actually, what what if I could just follow my heart and see where the joy came and see where the opportunity to make an income comes from that. And I look at how many jobs exist now that never used to exist. People can make a lot of money doing weird and wonderful things that you think, why would anyone ever pay you for that? But there are 7 billion plus of us on the planet that have a way of having needs that need to be met in certain ways that you can make money from. And I just, I just do think that if you can find happiness in what you do, then how you make money does naturally follow from that. And they don't have to be the same things, but you have to be aware of what makes you happy and then go, okay, how can I introduce more of that in my life? And if my job brings me a certain level of joy, where else can I get the rest of my joy so that I'm actually living a richer and fuller and complete life? And how did you connect with what you wanted to do, Glyn? Truthfully, I think it came from my divorce in the first instance. I think when you go through an experience like that, it's the sense of your identity is stripped back. And and for me, navigating that really made me question who I was, what I was doing, what was I about? I wasn't a wife, a partner in that context anymore. I was questioning my identity and it made me start then leaning into work more heavily. And I leaned into work for my identity. And then I had the great privilege of being able to move internally with the organization I worked for to Australia, worked for an awesome manager. And then the second manager that got bought in wasn't so awesome and in fact was quite narcissistic so experiencing divorce trying to find my own identity and then moving to a new country and then only having my job as the the one thing that I was leaning on for my identity and then realizing I was working for someone who wasn't sharing the same values let's put it that way because I don't want to swear on this podcast <laughs> you can swear away don't worry <laughs> I definitely thought I don't want to work for someone who just doesn't have the same values that I do and it made me then question well what are my values and what do I really care about and I have to say I, I owe gratitude to that person because had it not been for such a sort of a toxic environment at that time I wouldn't have realized that I'd anchored my identity and my worth attached to my job. And I was making my status and my my seniority and my success within my corporate environment count for something instead of looking inwards to what really gave me my my truth and my, my real worth. And I think when I looked inwards to say, what did my heart really want? Where would it sing most? One, I was motivated by I don't want other women to have to deal with not so good people at a leadership level. And I really try not to swear. (laughs) Can I just say this one word? Is it okay? It's fine. It's fine. I don't want other women to work for fucktards. (laughs) That's even a new one for me. I've never heard that before. Just don't want other women to work for for people that just have no ability to recognize the impact that they can have on others' lives and not take their position in leadership roles seriously. And therefore, I wanted to use my own experience of recognizing I needed to find my identity and go inwards to then create that connection to others to say, hey, don't wait for a trauma moment in your life before you start questioning what you want. Choose what you want for yourself with a level of consciousness now about who you are and what, where you're going in life because you've spent the time to get present to what your heart really desires. And when you get present to what your heart really desires, how you show up in the outside world makes a significant difference. And I think one of the things you say in the book as well, actually, is that toxic leadership or that environment, that bullying environment is a lot more prevalent than people really understand. And you talk about the corporate environment. Now, I've spent a lot of my career in international development, 
or humanitarian work. And I can tell you it's alive and well there too. So I would say that wherever you have people and unhappy people, yes. you'll have those environments that that allow that behavior to flourish and thrive and to the detriment of hearts. Yes, absolutely. It's because they've separated themselves from themselves in some way, because I'm a big believer that people inherently are good. You know, the, uh, humanity inherently is good and therefore when people have become separate from their hearts that in some way their ego has then taken over it's this sense of I I need to find my my way of exerting my power in some way and therefore in order to feel whole this is how I'm going to show up instead of realizing that actually if you did fulfill what your heart really wanted where you had a level of joy and connection to the way you were living your life, you found happiness, the way you would then show up externally would just imbue that same sort of joy and, and internal happiness that you found. And I think that's that's part of the challenge is that there are a lot of people in every environment, as you said, where there are humans that are blindly on a journey following what society has said is a norm, which is get a job, measure your success by your wealth and your material possessions, and everyone's on that track or status and everyone's on that track to be someone, to be seen, to, to have a certain standard of, of life that can be deemed to be successful by some society's measure. And internally, we're all emptying our own cups because actually it's not the truth of who we are or what makes us really, really connect to the joy in our hearts. When I think about finance, it's actually one of the, I can't remember where I heard it, but this idea of a return on investment, how many people trade five days of unhappiness every single week for two days of freedom at the end of it? What kind of return on investment is that? Who makes that deal? Why would you do that? That would not be any kind of investment anyone would sign off, go five days of unhappiness for two days of freedom at the end of it. <laughs> like, it makes no sense. So, but yet there are so many people in jobs that make them sick and unhappy and behave in manners that are not in alignment to who they are at their core because they've lost sight of the actual truth of what they could access if they gave themselves the opportunity to access that. And it might mean that they earn less money in the short term or it might not, but I think there's definitely an opportunity to go, is my, is my life just worth that level of misery for two days of freedom or actually would I be better off having five days of happiness and, and working in in an environment that actually allowed me to to experience more of who I am at my core I think people might say that they're trading the five days of happiness for a certain value in their bank account as well though for sure yeah for sure but that money doesn't allow you to how would I word it? You can find the richest people on this earth who have made billions and still be fighting with depression, misery, loneliness, unhappiness. The money itself might relieve a certain level of pain. It might help numb things. But the truest joy doesn't come from how much money. And I'm not going to say money doesn't make life easier. For sure, it makes life easier. And I wouldn't suggest anyone get into survival state because when your survival needs need to be met, that's absolutely when money plays a significant role in your happiness. But beyond your survival needs, as Maslow's hierarchy of needs would suggest, self-actualization isn't about money. It, it's something far deeper. And I, I would challenge anyone that says, yes, you, you can trade five days of misery for a great bank balance. But when you're 60 years old and you're looking back on your life are you are you going to be really proud of all of your material possessions or the lost opportunity to live a life that fueled you because it was filling your heart so tell me about heart because oh. you've got a lovely acronym in fact your book is full of acronyms which are great and I'm mad about acronyms but the heart one makes so much sense so maybe yeah. you talk us through that a little bit then. Sure. 
my heart acronym came from my own journey having navigated the end of my, my marriage into finding what was new and true for me and it allowed me to as I was learning professional speaking at the time it was I had to do what was a, a TED talk equivalent to an audience for 12 minutes the message was there's no story that's more powerful than your own at the time and therefore when you're sharing your story how can you make it memorable and easy for someone else to, to get so you have to have what they call a teachable framework and I remember thinking at the time well if my my own story is the most powerful thing I can share how do I do that in a way that can add value and teach people something and I remember sitting back a week before the presentation, still not knowing exactly what I was going to present, how I was going to present it, and sat with an idea around, okay, if it's, if the story is about my life, then the clues must be in my home. Like there must be clues around me that help me figure out exactly how I tell this story. And I looked around and everywhere around me in my home were hearts, like everywhere. My my end of my bed had hearts hanging on them. I had hearts on notice boards. I had hearts as fridge magnets, like hearts on scarves, on clothes, everywhere. So I'm like, okay, I'm a heart person. I've got jewelry, I'm wearing a heart right now. Like I've got hearts everywhere I look. And I thought, okay, there's definitely a clue here. The sign is, it's my heart. So I asked myself the question, the simple question around, if, if heart is the answer, how have I navigated my life from the end of my marriage to where I am now following my heart what does that mean and I literally just went through the steps of my journey of navigating that end of that chapter to the new chapter and I thought okay if, it, if I could make heart an acronym what would it be and heart ended up standing for hope and it was that sense of I needed to have hope in a better tomorrow than the reality I was facing at the time of that heartbreak. I needed to believe something better was possible and have hope for that future. I needed to have the energy to be able to move towards it. And, and energy for me is, is the fuel that we, we all need, whether that's mental, physical, emotional, or spiritual fuel, but it's, it's the fuel that we need to be able to go after our dreams and our desires. So it was like, okay, I need energy. And then action became the step to say, well, you've got to, you've got to take the steps, lovely lady. You've got to move. You've got to have your dream identified through what you're hoping for, have the energy to go after it. But, you know, as, as I'd say with a car journey, you know, you can set your GPS destination, you can have the fuel tank filled, but if you're not willing to turn the ignition on, release the handbrake and press the accelerator, you're not going to get very far. So action became the, the doing step and the being step as well. So who am I being and how am I operating? And then resilience was the, the fourth step, which was the R, because the recognition was that we can make steps towards our journey and our destination, but there are always going to be obstacles. There are always gonna be stumbling blocks and it's how we recover from those that really matters. So it came up with resilience as R. And then the last one was trust, because at that time, what I had to trust was life was going to be better. I had to trust that I'd find myself, that I'd find a future that really connected me to what I wanted to do with myself. And it wasn't a known certainty. Like I didn't have anyone giving me a guarantee. I just had to take the steps, keep moving forward, pick myself up every time I fell over and then keep trusting that as long as I could see as much of the road in front of me as I needed to, that the rest of the path would reveal itself as I carried on moving forward. And I think that's now, even now, it's probably one of the hardest steps I find in, in the framework. I mean, some people get stuck with action and go, oh, I don't like taking the action. But for me, I'm a big action taker by nature. So for me, it was the trust and especially having a background in finance where we seek a lot of certainty and we seek black and white level of clarity before we're really locking down on a, on a decision. Trust was a, the biggest one that I had to learn at a personal level to say, my future is in the hands of uh, some unknown force. And as long as I'm taking the steps within my own uh, being now I can I can influence some things but I can't influence everything will be certain of how things are going to pan out so 
really leaning into that was the hardest. So yes, then Heart was born and I, it, what started off as just a, a way of sharing my message with a, a bunch of students at a professional speakers training program that I was doing for a year ended up being the foundation of my framework for my own business. And it, it was the catalyst for starting my new journey out of corporate. It became my leadership framework. It's now what I do female leaders programs on. I coach on it. I live and breathe it every day. And I just thought, wow, like I did not see that coming. <laughs> so it's definitely about trust and go, and just allowing yourself to to see where the path unfolds and it and often it takes you in directions that you just don't expect it to take you in before yeah before you realize that you're on a new path and it's 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 exciting and it's adventurous and yeah it's scary too at the same time well being comfortable being uncomfortable in a way <laughs> but that's it's amazing and you know when you said heart to maybe family or friends that you grew up with was it something that resonated for them as well? Did they associate Glynn with hearts? Yeah, it's funny. Like, I'm not sure anyone saw saw that until I saw it. Like, they they, they would have seen jewellery and stuff. But it was kind of like, oh, yeah, Glynn likes hearts. But as soon as heart was sort of birthed out publicly was when you start looking around and start going, oh my God, literally everything around me is screaming heart. And it's then sort of made it a lot clearer for, for, for others that, yes, that's me. But I think the journey that I described was that, okay, yeah, I can see you doing that because you've always been that person where it's like you set your hopes, you set your intentions, you're all about the energy to, to put behind something, you're an action taker, you don't give up, you know, you're, you're resilient. The resilience I was often described in corporate as someone who had inner steel and, uh, you know, this description of velvet glove, iron fist. And I thought, yes, that's me. You know, I'm going to really carry on (laughs) and tackle myself that way. And then the trust piece was, was huge because I, you know, even in my corporate career, I took bold moves around the, the roles I went for and, and the level of risk that I had an appetite to to just go and lean into having difficult conversations with stakeholders because you just trust that you've got to do the right thing by the organization and trust that you've got to do the right thing by yourself. So, yeah, so it, it was showing up in, in a lot of areas of my life. And I think now that I can see it, it's almost become for me. Well, it's not almost it is. It's the code for how I live my life. And when I'm off track, I look back and go, where am I off against my heart? Which which one of those core components am I not aligned with? And at the moment, we were speaking just before this, it's the energy. And I, I, and I know this because mentally I'm feeling that I've pushed myself quite heavily over the last few months and I'm feeling the fatigue and the tiredness and I'm going, okay, that's a, that's a drop in fuel, that's a drop in energy what do you need to do to refill your tank? Because you're not going to be able to take the action you need. You're not going to be able to make the destination that you want to reach if you run out of fuel. So, <laughs> so it's it's definitely become a formula for how I really look at every aspect of my life and how I show up for others and how I help clients through, through the same journey. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to bring it down to something simple because I don't think it is simple, but... I think there's real beauty in the simplicity that actually it's there in your home. So for everybody, there is a treasure trove, maybe just in your bedroom or in one room that is really you. And if you can connect with that and start to see the threads. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's the key there when, when you talk about the thread, when we when you think about numbers we're always looking for the patterns. We're looking for the patterns to make sense of things. And my biggest clue was if, if the story is about your life and what your teachable gifts are, the clues will be around you in your life. And starting with your home, your room, your, your belongings, and starting to pay attention to what is it that you're noticing about the patterns around you that can then start indicating where where your story and your truth really sits lovely and I think it's something we can 
do easily. That's the thing, isn't it? When you're trying to figure out what you love, it's there in front of you. Wow. It always is, but you just, yeah, sometimes it just takes that moment to pause and just, and not try too hard, but just let it, let it come. And I mean, the heart framework is covered really well in, in your book, Unstoppable Woman. And it's definitely worth a read for anyone who's interested in, I think in, well, somebody's story, because that's really what it's about, because you fill it with your own story, but also in maybe simple steps to help you reflect. And I absolutely love the resilience roundabout. I think <laughs> that just made me chuckle, but also it's full of wisdom. Yes. So tell me about writing, Glynn, because you wrote two books, not just one, but you've also written Healing After Heartbreak, which I haven't read, but you wrote two books. Did you enjoy that? Tell us about writing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Healing After Heartbreak was an interesting one because this is what I mean about how life just unfolds and shows you different paths. I started writing poetry only in 2017 after I'd moved to Australia and I was going through the difficult time that I was experiencing with this fucktard of a boss at the time. That's twice now. <laughs> yeah, just if you need to mark it as explicit, that's it twice. Two swear words that I won't use anymore. <laughs> but I found myself on a trip in Bali just sitting on my own and I, I was sitting in a cafe and I just thought I really need to be able to communicate because I'm I, I do not express anger out, outside of myself very well. I'm definitely someone who suppresses anger or suppresses frustration and keep it inwards because I don't want to be that energy for others. So realize I needed to have a way where I could find my own truth and my voice. And I, I just started writing poems that allowed me to feel healing. And I started then, carried on writing. And then I got, I don't know, I've got hundreds now, but... I'd, I'd started writing and then a friend had said well, what are you gonna do with them I was like nothing like put them on Instagram share them that way and and then I got thinking about it and I thought well actually those poems helped me heal from my heartbreak heartbreak of an, a marriage loss an identity loss you know even the the corporate role that I was doing there's a sense of loss of okay I'd attached my identity to that but that wasn't true that wasn't me so all of this grief and healing that I was going through and the poems helped me connect to that and they helped me connect in a way where I was talking to myself with real love and compassion and I just thought wow I felt incredibly held by those poems and so I decided to write a book with healing after heartbreak which was essentially a selection of 50 of my poems but 50 healing activities so what I made it was a here's an activity every single day for 50 days that you can do that will help take you from your heartbreak to your heart song and move people on the journey. Because I thought, well, if I felt so good reading these, then someone else has the opportunity to feel held and feel supported and loved in a space that could be really difficult for them to navigate at that time. So, yeah, I converted that into books it took a while to get obviously the content because I only write when I'm in the emotion of wanting to write so I don't write just because I've got a deadline or something so the book came because it was organically written and then just compiled together to, 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 to take someone on a journey and then Unstoppable Woman came because again I know the power that stories have on me when I read other people's stories and I, sh I, I see how open and vulnerable they've been in their books. And I thought, wow, this has made a massive difference to me. What if I, little old me, what if I could make a small <laughs> impression on someone somewhere, you know, and leave a legacy of my own and, and not because I'm sitting here going, oh yeah, I need to be some amazing, well-known author or be a New York Times bestseller. But because I wanted to say, I had the courage to put my own experience and wisdom on a page because it helped me and hopefully it, it would help someone else. And yeah, the book's pretty raw in terms of my sharing an unstoppable woman. And I even now I feel like I had to put a stop on it to get it to the publishers on time and get, get the publishing done. But I look now and think I've got so much more to say. It's almost like that 
self-growth continues and there's more and more wisdom that you discover about more of what you didn't know and how much more you know and I feel like that will be the journey until we're ready to cross over because the journey of learning never stops and I've realized the more I think I know the more I realize how little I actually know about life and how much there is still to absorb and learn. So I'm, I'm excited by that opportunity to, to really <laughs> get to the truth of, of, of more, more knowledge and wisdom and, and hopefully live a, live a life that's in alignment with that. Yeah, I think that's a great message as well as there's, there is like always something to learn. <laughs> every day and everyone you meet I believe as well that you learn something from them even the ones like we talked about your boss that wasn't so great there was learning in that for you as well absolutely and I got this belief that you know I'm a big believer in the universe and saying well if the the universe is always conspiring for for our own awakening or our own our own truth then it's all good stuff. So no matter how hard something is at the time, actually what it did was definitely serve my my own awakening to who I am on the inside to then really get present to what life can I actually design and what can I create for myself and where can I add the most value to others that I touch. And you know, having a finance background whilst I'm not a practicing accountant anymore, still serves me so well in so many assets in so many areas of my life and what skills you've developed there is a real asset in terms of making an impact to others because I, I coach people that are business owners and and individuals and having that commercial experience and the opportunity to add value still comes through but just comes through in a very different capacity to what it did when I was actually doing the job exactly yeah I can imagine and the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I know you've got that that lovely name, Glyn, which is Glinda, but I think yours is Glindar, you said. <laughs> but uh, I love that you bring the Wizard of Oz in. And now that you're in Oz yourself. <laughs> yes, I am in Oz. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I am in Oz. <laughs> so now you are the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> you know what I have not even made that join joining of that dot that is awesome I love that <laughs> yeah the wisdom of ours I mean your listeners are going to go nuts thinking what what the hell are these two talking about but oh, it's um, my favorite movie <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie and I think for me what I loved about that story for me it's all about enrollment you know that journey is Dorothy saying hey I've got a dream to get somewhere. And in her case, it was just, I'd like to get home to myself and my family. And that journey of going home and, other, and finding others that were wanting something that would make them whole and complete and make them feel worthy. What, she, what I loved about that was she took them on a journey that didn't say, hey, I'm going to give you all of those superpowers that you're seeking. She just painted a picture of what could be possible if they arrived at Oz and the wizard was able to help her. She said, hey, the wizard might be able to help me. He might be able to help you. Do you want to come along? And I look at that and go, it's a powerful story of enrollment, but it's a powerful story of showing that we all think we're lacking something that we actually have within us as our superpowers. And I think when we allow ourselves to even just see ourselves more objectively to go, what if the thing I thought I lacked was actually my superpower? How could I know that to be true? Yeah, it's, it's insane. So I, I always thought my vulnerability was my, my weakness, if you like, you know, this sense of, oh, I'm open as a finance person. I share a lot of my life. I'm, I, I don't hide anything about my world. And Sometimes you think, oh, is that too open? Am I leaving myself too exposed? And then I just thought, well, I feel really free because I'm not carrying anything and I'm not trying to hide anything. So actually what most people want is to feel free. And I thought, well, maybe my vulnerability therefore is my superpower because in sharing, I can be free and then I'm showing others how they can access freedom too. Yeah, that's, 
That's what I'm thinking anyway. You can't <laughs> see me because this just goes out in audio, but I'm here just like <laughs> kind of hugging my own heart almost listening to this. It's music to my ears. That's, that's lovely, Glenn. And it's a lovely way of thinking of actually something that maybe we feel holds us back or we need to hide from others is actually something that we need to highlight rather than hide and step into. Yeah, what I, the word sonder always comes to mind. Sonder, if I only heard this word, it came into my vocabulary for the first time in 2018. But essentially it's a word that means that moment when you realize everyone else is living the life that's as rich and as complex as your own. And I just thought, yes, exactly mm. that. So when we share those moments of sonder, it's just beautiful. This realization that none of us have life figured out fully. We're doing the best we can. We live very rich and complex lives. And actually, when you realize that we're all in it, in the same exact soup, <laughs> swirling around, you know, going, oh, where's, where's my place in the world? We're, we're all in the bowl together, <laughs> you know, and that's it. And it's, and it's really nice when you have that level of, and this is what I mean about pausing long enough to, to reflect and look around you. Because when you start to look around you, you'll start to see actually others are doing no better, no worse. We can't get what we, we're doing on this life wrong. Like we're all on a journey uh, to finding home, which is often within us. And yeah. Only within us, really. <laughs> And I think that's one of the important points you make in your book as well, actually, is about the power of comparison, because we're always being told, don't compare yourself with other people and it's not worth it, but you can use it to good. Yes, definitely. Like I used comparison because you don't, and, and I, I talk about it in my book as comparison as your guide to joy, because when you feel discontent, when you're comparing yourself to someone it gives you the clue about what you actually want for yourself. So when someone says, I don't know what I want for myself, or if I've got clients that say, I don't know what I want. Great. Who do you find yourself getting really annoyed at by comparing yourself to them? <laughs> because that will give you a clue about what you really want in your life and what you're feeling disconnected to. Sometimes it's what want actually, but what it will also give you a clue about is what's uh, missing in yourself. So this sense of if I'm seeing someone be really let's let's take a an actress for an example to go hey an actress is able to showcase her skills be seen on on the screen and and, and really own how she portrays herself in a role now you might not want to be an actress but you might go actually I feel really envious of the ability to be able to be seen to be able to show up and to have others be aware of the work I do I wish I had the confidence to do something that allowed me to be seen so it gives clues and indicates oh okay what's missing or what do you notice that you think you have a gap in and when you can notice that then you can start to do the work around that to go okay is that a real gap is is it true how will that, how will getting that addressed really lead me to to live a richer and happier more fulfilled life so there's so many clues and I think it's a bit like that with with all emotions isn't it we sometimes fear the the let's call them the bad ones or the, you know, the anger and the fear and the sadness and hurt and whatever, but actually they're all clues really, aren't they? To, to what you need in your life or what's missing or what you want, like you say, and it's, it's understanding what they're trying to telling, tell you as opposed to denying them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So never deny feelings, but pay attention to them and, use your awareness to guide you to better feeling emotions and and when you when you're aware you're not feeling right but you're asking yourself why then that gives you clues to go okay well, what do I need to do to get me to feel better so stop you know staying in a in a job that doesn't fulfill you but choose to then find you know I'm not suggesting everyone leaves their jobs uh, overnight but it's that sense to go okay well stop giving it power so if it's upsetting you and it's not fulfilling you don't give it energy, look for where you're most fulfilled and look for the things that do give you energy and give your attention to them. You know, because what you, what you give attention to 
is what grows and you know ultimately your your energy is best placed on on the areas that you want to grow rather than the areas you don't <laughs> absolutely where attention goes energy flows absolutely absolutely it really does and uh, I meant to mention as well your podcast because you do have a the unstoppable woman podcast maybe you just want to say a word about that yeah the unstoppable woman podcast I launched last year just as an avenue to to share truths that help female leaders really access the truth of who they are so it shares wisdom it shares stories it shares lessons and learnings I have interviewed a couple of people uh, are on their own journey about understanding themselves mostly it's me rambling and, and, and sharing my own insights but I'm a big believer in if, if you're able to learn something and have the courage to share it then perhaps someone else can benefit from your wisdom and it's, it's an avenue for me to show women that we don't have to judge ourselves. We don't have to be perfect. We can be pretty messy in our, in our lives. And it's okay because life's meant to be messy, like it, it, all of our lives are. And so, yes, it's, it's a space where I just, I see it as, a, as an avenue just to be free and to share some truths. And, and I was saying to you earlier, I use it as a practice ground for myself to say, here's, here's all of the... The nonsense I'm dealing with that if I if I do a podcast about will help me cement what I need to start practicing in my life too <laughs> so it's a great self-learning tool but it's yeah as I say it's a no holds barred type podcast just say it as I see it and help people find some wisdom in in the nuggets that I might share as well brilliant well Glenn thank you so much for your time and I know you're over in Sydney and you're hours ahead of us. So I'm going to let you go and enjoy your evening. But thank you for being open with us and, and sharing so much uh, wellness, wisdom and wealth. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time, your energy and for just taking the time to do so much research on reading my book. It's a, it's a real privilege and an honour. So thank you so much. You're welcome. We'll definitely have you back when you write the next one. Oh, can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Thank you. Imagine if every day you enjoy work, express yourself fully and exceed expectations. I believe we're all entitled to have this and that the future of work life will be changed by those who strive for and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves their colleagues, their teams, and wider organisation. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with someone you know who is curious like you. <laughs>